0: Have we come up with an intro yet? That's it, right there. Have we come up with an intro yet? (laughs) That's been the theme so far.
1: It's the best you're going to get, yep.
0: (laughs) I don't have any good intros, and I don't have the energy for the intro. No, I think you just get on and do (laughs) it. It's always, and it's kind of awkward. I mean, if you had a really good guest, and you did a lot of research, and you were, you know, got to pontificate on some guest about how cool they are, then I think it's easy, but... When it's just us three jabronis, (laughs) I think you just go with the flow. And then that's the whole reason I've been putting our names up on the video version of the podcast so people actually know who we are. But I guess for audio, since we aren't doing audio, we need to talk about that because I am getting all kinds of inquiries. Is that how you say it? inquiries? Inquiries? Inquiries. Inquiries. Does it work both ways? I don't know.
2: I think it's like gray and gray. This is why I'm a photographer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So people want to know, is it on Spotify? Do you have it on Apple? And I'm like, Oh man, I was just going to go 100% YouTube and not worry about anything else. But now that we're getting these asks, I think it's probably worth it. But then you start spreading all your statistics around and you know, I don't know. I would just prefer that everybody just watched it on YouTube. But for me, if I'm driving from somewhere to somewhere, I download a podcast on my phone because I'm always concerned about not having connection to the internet, right? Yep. Or to you know, cellular service or whatever. Yep. I'm not sure that you can do that with the YouTube I guess you can you download a YouTube? You can I think if you subscribe. Or I don't know, maybe yeah. it
1: is an option. You used to be able to download stuff, but then I think you know you have to pay for the YouTube TV.
0: Well, I did something on one of our videos the other day where it says, do you want this editable by somebody else? And I said, no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Probably so they can clip it but up. But if you and- made it edible, editable by somebody else, then that probably allows them to download it and re- remash it up for their own. You know, if you watch Mr. Beast with his own stuff, You'll see uh, 9 million other channels doing, oh, look what Mr. Beast did or whatever. And so he's, for him, it works, right? Because there's not anything really viable and proprietary. Not that what we do is either, but if you shoot a once-in-a-lifetime wildlife thing and it's not something that's scripted or scheduled or whatever, and you get something really cool and you throw it up on YouTube on your channel... You don't want everybody else being able to go get it and use it for that. Look what those guys did. I mean, you get credit for it, I would think, but you would also, I mean, you got a lot of time and effort into that.
2: I think the bigger risk is, uh, uh, we're not the most eloquent group over here. And so I think, Hey, now the bigger risk is becoming a meme. <laughs>
1: Oh, right, right. So. Uh, Yeah. That's a legitimate concern. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we can get some attention, I
0: guess. We'll go for it. What are we talking about today there, fellas? I think Eric said he's got tons of stuff to talk about. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or a lack thereof. Yeah, just <laughs> not too much has changed since the last time we chatted. Kind of got the rough draft put together for that Eagle video. Just trying to go through now and color grade and add sound and master all that stuff. So hopefully that'll be up you know, in a
0: couple days. Um, I'm not sure that this is a discussion for the podcast, but maybe we Mm -hmm. should have it on the podcast and then we can share it out if we don't want to. So I know at one point we talked about color grading. Mm -hmm. Well, what started this whole thing is, is uh, Brandon and I were out shooting yesterday and we'd both seen parts of your video that you sent us. Mm -hmm. So, and just to give the audience a breakdown, Eric was doing his whole Eagle thing. So if you listen to the last podcast, you found out about that. Well, now he's got almost a 30 minute version of what he shot there. And then he's looking for suggestions. So I got a chance to watch part of it and Brandon got a chance to watch part of it. And then we both went out and did a shoot. And then, but before that, since we only saw part of it, Eric's like, well, give me some feedback. And my feedback is, is I don't know what to cut till I get to see the colored shots because there's some cool shots in there. But I don't know if this shot's really cool or is it kind of cool? You know, once it yeah. gets colored, it might be really cool. But before it's colored, and if I say, <laughs> uh, this shot doesn't do anything for me, it might if it was colored. Yeah. So yeah. we got in this discussion about that. Brandon and I did yesterday. And then refresh my memory. How do you color stuff? Because the way that Brandon taught me to color is all science. It's not the creative at all. It's basically, it's like I use this camera. I use this color space. I use what else, Brandon? Is I want yeah, this output. I want this output. And then that's your starting point. But for me, for the red cameras, it was like, hmm, that looks pretty dang good. I might want to up the saturation a tiny bit or contrast a tiny bit, but I didn't have to do hardly anything. And then if you're shooting the same camera in the similar light for the whole project, Mm -hmm. it came up, you know, everything was pretty consistent throughout. One of the projects I did had multiple cameras because I've been shooting this footage for over the years. So I had a ton of different cameras. So it was a little harder to get that one. Mm to line up uh, because there's so many different cameras and I couldn't remember the color space I shot in or whatever, but you don't do it that way, right? Eric, how do you color and why is that? Why don't you use the process, like just get it all dialed in? Just uh, how, what would you say it scientifically or? uh, Yeah. I don't know. Technologically.
1: I I think it's still for me, you know, a work in progress trying to figure out my, workflow for the whole thing from editing I mean I learned so much just going through this one piece that I'm kind of ready for it to just be done so I can start fresh with all those you know ideas and better plans of how how to approach the whole thing I used to use the color space transform um, that's what you're talking about where you can you know move it from the log into like a rec 709 color space um, I guess the best maybe similarity thinking about like photo editing, you know, and dropping like a preset onto your raw image and kind of getting a starting point. But I guess for me, I mainly just using like contrast and um, pitch to, I feel like I, with two quick adjustments, I can get it pretty close to where the preset was. And then I feel like I don't have something that's also on top of what I'm trying to do where I can just move a couple little things and get it pretty close to where I want. But every time I use footage from a different camera, it does take a little bit of learning of, you know, kind of getting the instincts of where I can jump into, like, what a preset would do. I I used to use the color space, but I I don't know, why. I just kind of, I'm not as fond of it. Maybe I'll go back to it, or maybe, you know, it'll get beefier and closer to what I want as my ending point, but um i don't know it's probably just a a combination of not trying all the options yet but i'm curious to see you know i don't have the the top of the line professional monitor ten thousand dollar monitor or something but it's a decent monitor and color grading why not (laughs) yeah because i don't want (laughs) to afford that um but yeah, then seeing what that output looks like on, you know, our phone, social media, YouTube, you know, you upload stuff and it looks completely different. So there may be more uh, changes, maybe something that we have to go back after like a year revisit and see what all's changed. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, that's just been where, where I've been with the coloring is just I feel like I can get there with a matter of, you know, maybe a little bit of global adjustment um, and a little white balance if I needed but with, you know, three or four sliders or whatever you want to call them, I can get the image pretty much right where I want it. I don't know. I think it's, maybe there'll be a good uh, opportunity with a lot of different devices or a faster workflow where I could use color space transforms and put, you know, the GoPro, the, the A1, the FX6, the, iphone you know all into like a rec color space you know into rec 709 or uh, whatever other you know version is easier to work off of just to get them all kind of closer to the same coloring spot but um yeah i i don't know that's just where i've been it's probably a lot more hands-on but to me i feel like i have a lot of control over the image and a lot of times Mm -hmm. i'll work an image and then just reset it to, to scratch because I, I think I know where I want to take it but I don't like where it's going and I'll just try to get to that point again with very little you know usually just one or two adjustments and it I can get it right back where I want where I want the end result to be so I'm just more or less doing it that way because I feel like I'm learning a little bit better about what all the adjustments do for color grading and and how to kind of get the effect I want you know it's difficult for things like Lightroom, it takes years to really get comfortable with. So I'm, I'm kind of mm-hmm. feeling like I need to use that approach in DaVinci just to get comfortable with it all. But, yeah, maybe I'd speed it up a little bit. Well, it's good
2: that you're doing that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know that the color space is any faster because you like you got to select. I'm using S-Log3, uh, Cine gamma. I forget all the inputs. And then it's like, I want to go to Rec. 709 on both the outputs. They don't do GoPros, right? And so like, if you have GoPro footage interspersed with it or iPhone footage, I'm sure they'll come up with a new Apple log here in a bit, but they don't have like standard Apple because it doesn't really need to go to Rec. 709. It's kind of adjusted. Same with GoPros. So I think the way you're doing it, yeah, if you can do it just by eye, that's awesome. I'm just the reason I do it that way is speed, just because mm. I don't want to waste time with that. And most yeah. of the time I'm just going to seven oh nine and not doing creative things for most of my clients are very like standard. They want a basic uh image look. So mm. but I think with this we do have the ability to create more of a creative look. And I find myself adding other nodes onto the the color space after, and so it's like yeah. why don't
0: just do that in the beginning? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I get it. Yeah, but when I did it, I've been doing this stuff for a long time, and I can't even get close as close as the as the technology gets me. Then yeah. I can once the technology, because it's all it's all. I mean, it's what is it? it's all a definite information, right? It's this camera, it's this color space, it was this white balance, and this is the output I want. Mm -hmm. So, if you're shooting it correctly, and you should be pretty close to being pretty awesome, and then you'll go in and make any tweaks or adjustments. Mm -hmm. So, I think that's closer to a Lightroom uh, experience than it is to just start from scratch. Now, this is for me. Because sure. when I start from scratch for me, it's like, hmm, well, that looks dumb. I just don't. I need to get it close, and then then I can do those just few tweaks, and I'm pretty good. Well, now, especially if it's the yeah. same light, same camera, you know, same shoot. It's and then it's super easy because you can just paste that. Right. Mm-hmm. You don't have Which to I do, do it for every clip. You can if do I have the same, and then you can go. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I'll utilize that, you know, if I'm, I am I know the same sequence and stuff. But yeah, there's definitely images where you shoot, you know, even mm-hmm. though it's all log and kind of flat that, you know, the light was so good. There is still a lot of good contrast versus some where it's like you're pushing the limits of daylight or that sort of thing. And it looks really bad and you have to manipulate it. So I think I've just enjoyed the experience of kind of seeing what I remember in the field and what it looked like on the screen and what the end result is. And kind of being able to work it the whole way from start to finish, just so that I can understand the limitations of my computer or my uh, sensor and that sort of thing. So, yeah, and the
2: the red footage is insane to work with. Versus Mm -hmm. our FX6, like the FX6, you can push it a little bit, but
0: like that red footage, you can move it, you can do whatever you want with it in the raw. It's insane. Yeah yeah i did notice that too it is pretty forgiving especially yeah. like if i'm pushing low light like a couple of times we did eric in the mornings with mm-hmm. the moose it was i'm like i don't know i'm shooting it like 20 whatever 2400 iso or whatever it was and 2800 which i normally wouldn't do on red. Us, and i'm but... running i'm not doing the 180 degree rule i'm doing the the 360 degree rule and yeah i'm just grabbing as much light as i can wherever i can and then i come back and look at the footage and it's like awesome so well you we have a lot of latitude the
2: c-log that you used in which one were we looking at that because it was red versus canon And i was like what color is that and you're like oh that's c-log and it was just back to a 709 but it looked great and i think that was an r5 wasn't
0: it yeah, the R5s are pretty good. Yeah, like and that was awesome. raw footage too, but it was awesome too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, y'all in the audience, we need to know how much of this is worth talking about because <laughs> are we going way over everybody's heads, or is this interesting, or do you want to know more? Because I mean, it's taken me a long time to get to this point to where I kind of get it. I can remember people talking about Rec. Seven Hundred Nine, like yeah as little as five years ago and I'm like, mm, yeah, whatever. I don't need it. I just <laughs> push record.
1: <laughs> yeah, I definitely so, would, uh, watch like Gerald undone videos on YouTube, you know, yeah. three, four five years ago and every, almost 90% of it was going over my head, but I would just keep watching and like every so often I would start picking up something else here, there, That would connect the dots and at least having rec 709 on your radar so when it comes up in a conversation, you're like, oh, I've heard of that. And I kind of understand that it's something about the color. And then, you know, you'll feel a little more confident to try and explore the subject more. But I would say going through the edit, if we want to talk about another thing, too, was just how much footage I didn't use. I would say I probably have over an hour, you know, if I really wanted to go more day by day. But trying to decide what's interesting and keep it um engaging yeah, it's kind of challenging for me at least my personality and it was the same way with stills is once i was kind of done with a shoot or a trip i almost had to just not look at the stuff for a few months because i i just didn't feel like i would either be overly critical of it or maybe i would just focus on the things i didn't capture that i wish i did and so i sometimes it is nice for me to just get away from it for a little bit but if we're going to, you know, trying to get the more immediate turnover, um, forcing you to look at it right away, then I think it maybe make me a little more disciplined in the field, um, too. So that'll be helpful. But, yeah, there's a lot of footage that I didn't shoot, a lot of slow days. <laughs> Not much happened either, but there are a lot of really cool shots that I just I, there's no place for them. So I didn't want to just keep throwing stuff in there, um, but maybe we'll make yeah, it so hard here. I am working on my own little uh, sequences of some different wildlife encounters I've had and kind of building a reel myself that I just keep slowly chipping at. But um, maybe I'll focus on that since things are kind of slowing down here for winter time.
2: But That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Yes, I
2: don't know. So I you get, have be the... interesting
1: to see what. I guess is the most interesting parts of it to people that are both either in wildlife already, or just someone who doesn't go out, but appreciates things. So I guess we'll do the unwritten rule of shouldn't read podcast comments, but I think ours will be supportive. (laughs) So
2: (laughs) I don't know if we get some mean ones, we're just going to read them out loud (laughs) with their handle. Yeah. Oh we don't have to do it. I just love no. like mean comments. It, so <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> just don't hurt my feelings. I'll cry. I don't want to cry on <laughs> camera.
0: You got a big nose.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> I do have a big nose. Look at that thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Look at that thing. So um yeah, I think once we get off the podcast, Eric, I can give you a bunch of uh just suggestions that I would make on that Mm -hmm. video and then we can go from there but there's so much i mean gosh i think about when i was editing the moose stuff and you think about nat sound and you think about all the vo and then you think about all the shots and how do you make it all go together and how do you keep people interested Mm -hmm. it's pretty tough and you can't get your friends you got to get people that you don't know Mm -hmm. because your friends are always going to be nice But
1: then you also have to get to a point where you're like, all right, I'm done. This video is done. I can't keep massaging it anymore. There's no point. No one's ever going to see it if I keep doing, you know, working it. So at some point it has to be good enough. (laughs) But we'll we'll get there. Yeah.
0: Well, I think, yeah, a couple more edits and you'll be there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have me wanting to go up there and film with you. Yeah, I know. And it's nice to have it encapsulated the time encapsulated down to 30 minutes Mm because, you know, what was it for 14, 15 days that you were there? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's a long, there's some long, super long days if it's raining and then you get all night too and it gets dark early. So that's just a lot of time that as a viewer, you don't have to deal with. Mm -hmm. I guess if you were up there with tons of stuff to do and you had a comfy van and it's not too bad. It's not like you're living in a tent. How if you if you what is it? What was that old comedian? If your front door zips <laughs> open, you may be a redneck.
2: Oh, Jeff Foxworthy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I thought about that every day. Every time I <laughs> unzip that thing and then zipped back. And it was like sixteen zippers to get in, because you got one for the front door of the fly. And then you got a net for the bugs. And then you got a door for getting in the tent. And then you got a net for getting the keeping the bugs out of the tent. So it was like, zip, 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 zip If the boot out. fits. You may be ready. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> All right. So Eric, we got to go out and have some fun. Yeah. Brandon and mind? I, we, uh, the He fun, tortured me.
1: <laughs>
0: Do you see everyone? I didn't torture him. <laughs> you know what tortured him? Is the fact that his seat is like riding on a two by four. That's how comfortable it is. Just think about putting a two-by-four in your crotch and riding that for seven miles with 50 pounds on your back. Right. No fun. It was so miserable. And only, I only had to do it once because yesterday he was trying to be kind and ride my bike because I was carrying more weight. I just saw his padded seat. It was like, hey, I'll pedal that one. <laughs> That's what I think happened now. But prior <laughs> to I thought he was trying to be nice. And so I was like, okay, I'll ride yours. So I rode his, and it was fine for the first mile. But after that, I'm not kidding. Just, like, try to ride a sawhorse <laughs> for seven miles, and you get the feeling of what Brandon's bike is like. You know, it's a really high – it's a high-powered mountain bike, right. which would be great if you didn't carry have a big old backpack and you were just cruising through, you know, some trails and stuff. But when you have to sit on that seat, holy moly.
2: Well, and it's but slacked anyway. out for downhill, so it's not really a... Uphill bike. Yeah, it's not built for sheep and carrying a tripod or a backpack that isn't a camelback. <laughs> so there was that. Okay, I interrupted you and got us yeah. on a tangent. Sorry.
0: Well, no, and it was just, I mean, it's just, I hate to listen to podcasts when people are sitting there whining, so I need to shut <laughs> up. Uh, and I'm not whining that, but it's you just know. more of a joke than anything. Yeah. Um But no, the cool thing was, is we got to ride bikes, which is, that's like my favorite. Other than a boat, getting in on a boat to a photo location is probably the most fun for me. Mm -hmm. You know, flying's cool too, but um, it's not the same. You know, a boat gets you right in there. A bike can get you right in there. But I don't know. For some reason, I just love riding bikes. We do it in Alaska quite a bit. There's several places where a bike helps out quite a bit. And then this place that we were at, it was pretty cool because it just allows you to cover more ground is the biggest thing. And then if you, you know, I have a rack on the back of mine so I can strap the tripod on and, and carry, carry that big old heavy tripod. There'd be, it'd be impossible if you didn't have a rack because right. you couldn't have a backpack and put the tripod <laughs> on top of that and, and then ride. Right. But we were after bighorn sheep. And the first day we did it, it was awesome. It was like, what was it, Brandon? 65 degrees or 70 degrees?
2: Yeah, and we were thinking we're going outside, so we dressed for colder weather, and it was great.
0: Yeah, was sweaty. That's sweaty cool. hot in December. I don't know it was December 7th or 8th. Or well, I don't it, know what the day was. Yeah. Was oh, a, today's the 8th, so it must have been the 6th. Or the 5th. One of those days. But 70 degrees in December is like ridiculous. That shouldn't be happening. And then we also were trying to get the bighorn sheep rut. So you kind of want cold weather for that just because I think they're more active when it's cold. I I do think that we're past it, Mm -hmm. but I'm not sure. Yeah, I know that in Wyoming, the rut has gotten later and later and later. So I'm not convinced that these people that we talked to know what they're talking about. (laughs) But who knows? Who knows?
2: Well, they were still doing... Like the lip curls, they were... Well, they're still ready. Yeah, and they were still chasing the the ewes. The rams were still chasing the ewes around. Well, and that first day was great. I mean, we got on... It was, what, two miles? And we were on bighorns already. Like, it was yeah. quick. So that was a good day. And it was... I think that first group was 10, 12 rams. Well, there was a few ewes in there. But for the most part, it was all
0: males. Yeah, a bunch of little guys and then a couple of mediums. Yeah, it was it was amazing. It was awesome. The, the this place is a very very public place. Mm-hmm. It's very controlled, which is awesome. So there's no dogs allowed. There's no drones allowed. Um, no cars. Other than it's a it's a place where Denver gets its water supply. So there are cars going back and forth because they do have to do maintenance on this this water system. So you do have that, but that's what makes it kind of really accessible too, right? You just got this big, wide gravel road that is like, you know, and the cool thing is they do leave it open to the public because it could be one of those deals where they just close it off and they're like, nah, we're not, we're not into just letting the public come here. But with it being open, it's, I mean, you have the potential to roll in there and see mountain lions and. Black bears and turkeys and white-tailed deer and mule deer, beavers. We saw a beaver in the middle of the day. Yeah, beavers. All, all the birds. You know the American dippers. The I had filmed a golden eagle one oh, day yeah. yep. that you know we saw it kind of come in and it landed and then you know how you just sit and wait and wait and wait and wait for them to poop and then when they poop, you know they're going to take off and got some cool shots that way. So um, it's just quite the awesome place. So, well, hold
2: on. Let's 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 talk about that golden eagle because. There was some frustration around that because yeah, your, your pre-record was what 0. 0.6 seconds or something like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, if you're running like, it's pointless. It's stupid if you're running medium quality 8K, and I only went up to like 95 frames a second. I wasn't trying to go to 120. Huh? It only gives you like yeah, a 0. 0.6. So what's the point? Right. There's no point yeah. at all. And so he was just having to like rapid fire, like, oh, the bird start, pooped. stop.
2: Yep. Start, stop. And then he'd like do a false one. And so then he'd start, stop. So how many clips did you end up
0: taking? Four, five? I don't four? even know. Probably uh, quite a few. You just got to have the animal behavior kind of dialed in and just be watching and watching and watching, ready to hit that button. Because, well, you, nailed you know, it. There will be that little movement. Yeah, we got it. Yep. We did. But. You end up wasting a lot of stuff. That's my biggest frustration with this RED camera, which we've talked about already. Right. Yeah. It's kind of worth taking the helium out for those reasons. But then you don't get 8K at 120. Mm-hmm. There's your trade-off. Yep. So, but that was cool. I mean, there's just so much wildlife up there. I think if you wanted to see a mountain lion, if you went up there every day, I think, you know, especially in the wintertime and mm-hmm. when there's snow on the ground and you could find some tracks. Mm-hmm. I'll bet your chances of seeing a mountain lion go significantly higher, but you just got to be willing to put in the time.
2: Yeah, the hard the hard thing in that area is that it because the road is a, where you're effectively being on the trail, you can't leave it, and so it really makes it hard to get a shot sometimes because they'll be just right up on the rocks and you don't get any separation. And so we we actually left that first group that I mentioned earlier to go find other ones. And we found a solo one, and then we went up and found some more. We found probably 40, 50 sheep that day. But we just, like, nothing looked good. And so we kept moving back and forth. And ultimately, we, we ended on one just ram that was up in the rocks. And he was just kind of moseying along the rocks and he'd come out to some of the points and look around and then he'd go back. At one point in time, he just went to the top of the mountain and got on the tallest rock and looked around and then came down. And so that was pretty cool, but it does make it a little hard because the sun is, the sun moves through that entire area where um, it runs parallel to the road. And so sometimes you're just shooting in sun the whole time, which was, we shot in sun, every day we had something where we had to deal with that. So it was silhouettes or rim lighting or something like that. where We had to get a little creative and I did not get that last rim light shot. There was uh, like a point that came out and if they had gone just a foot further, it would have lit them up. But all I got was the horns and the rim light. So it didn't turn out
0: as cool as I wanted it to be. Yeah, it's just, and that's the thing with this place. It's just, it's in a big canyon, which that's why the sheep are there because they have really protected places to be. And But there's a lot of human stuff, you know, that's that whole water supply thing. And there's some caretaker houses in there. So you got a lot of human like influence, which I get. I mean, the whole thing nowadays is like, shoot it as you see it. If you got a telephone pole in it, shoot it that's the real life i mean we're all we're all busy trying to make it look like we're out in some major wilderness area and you know uh, framing out those things but but this is like too much that way i mean you got 50 sheep in somebody's front yard because their grass (laughs) is still green and everything else is brown and then you got a chain link fence going around this little yard that's all i mean it's just like so juxtaposed that you're like you know this this isn't right. This should not be right. I right. should not be seeing what I'm seeing right here. Right. Bighorn sheep in somebody's yard. Somebody's manicured green yard. Green yard in December. No <laughs> less. And all the sheep are in there eating. So so it's tough to shoot to get something super cool. That's why we stopped on the single sheep. Because it was up in the rocks. It was up in its habitat. It was. It definitely portrayed what you would expect to see a sheep doing. Whereas the other ones were on the road, probably licking salt off the road, you know, eating green grass in somebody's manicured yard. It's like, what do you do with that? I mean, if you're going to do a story about that, or maybe the story is, you know, today's world's changing and, you know, there's so many people that wildlife have a hard time getting away from. Yeah. Maybe like where they find
1: success in the new reality of nature.
0: Being so heavily influenced right, exactly. by humans. Yeah. You could do something with that. So you should probably go shoot some of that stuff just to have it. Especially if, um you know, that's such a, you know, when you think of bighorn sheep, you think of the Canadian Rockies or you think of the Colorado Rockies or you think of um, something obscure in Alaska where some Brooks Range doll sheep kind of thing. You don't think of somebody's house with a manicured yard and a big... Bighorn sheep rams standing in the middle of it. So yeah, it would probably probably be worth it. Would probably be worth going and getting that footage. I never pulled out the big camera to shoot that kind of stuff, but I shot a lot of that stuff on my phone, where you'll see all this man-made stuff, and these sheep are just totally accustomed to it. And there's got to be some sort of sense of uh, security for these these animals too, right? Because they get habituated to people because there's so many people that recreate there but then they also are hanging out at these houses which probably are going to be a little bit safer in terms of mountain lions or predators because the predators are probably less apt to deal with the human presence whether it's smells or you know something that they see or whatever so you know maybe that's why they hang out there too I would, if I was a bighorn sheep, and I knew there was a bit mountain lion in the area, I'd be like chummy with the neighborhood dog or the neighborhood <laughs> human or whatever. I would just be hanging out until the mountain lion decided to leave. Well, and those sheep
2: are—they were all reintroduced. I forget the year, but they were reintroduced several years ago because oh, they had all died the down.
0: 90s or 80s or something.
2: Yeah, and they reintroduced them into that canyon, and they've tried to protect them from all the livestock and canines and all this stuff. So it's a very protected area for them. Um, cause sheep are very, uh, susceptible, susceptible. Thank you to that lungworm. Mm. And I mean, is you can have domestic, uh, sheep give it to them. So they've done a good job protecting them up there. Um, they don't allow drones up there. There's no e-bikes, like all that stuff. So it's, a. Uh, It's a good area for him. It's good for us because we can go find them. Although we didn't have good luck. We went yesterday as well to kind of finish it out. And it was one of those moments. And I kind of chuckled and was telling Michael, like, we always do this. Like, oh, they'll be there and we'll get it on the way back down. And then sure enough, there was, we had gone to the top. We found some more, but they weren't in a great spot. They started in a great spot and then they just moved away where we couldn't get them. And we were like, okay, let's go down to that other herd. And the other herd had moved on. And so we just trucked back to the parking lot. We did use GoPros and a Pocket 2 with the gimbal on top from DJI. Um, We put both of those on the the bikes. So it'll be interesting to see the difference between the DJI footage with the gimbal. And we're using an 11 GoPro. I had a 9 and an 11, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what that stabilization does in the GoPro versus a gimbal. It's a small gimbal, but both of them were attached to bikes. And then uh, Michael had a GoPro with a media mod that he was filming on. And then I would just use my phone if we were doing like an interview style one for kind of rolling interviews or side of the road type things. So. It'll be, we'll try and label that if that's
0: interesting to you go. Oh, you mean the footage? Don't you think? Because that DJI is shooting. Okay. In... If Brandon edits this one, it's going to be labeled. Okay. If Michael edits this one, it will not be labeled. <laughs> Michael is very lazy. <laughs> so he,
2: speaking of editing, we were talking about the podcast, right? Because I was like, oh, I'll, I'll edit one out of the episodes. And I was thinking, okay, this is going to be like a few hours. And you're like, yeah, I can get through one of these in like two, three hours. So two hours passed like yesterday or something, right? And so I then did two more hours this morning. And I was like, I think I'm being too critical. And some of it is I've just not done a podcast before, right? So it's what do you cut out? What do you leave? Do you need to take out every um or so or those long blanks? And I'm just doing it like treat everything like a ferrari right so i'm doing everything i'm making smooth
0: cuts and he's like you don't need to do that it's a podcast (laughs) meanwhile when i edit if like if if one of you two are pontificating on something and i can see that the waveform is you know six miles long i'll be like okay i'll listen to that but i'll grab my phone and play solitaire while i'm listening and then just to make sure i don't hear a snort or a cough or a um or a so or whatever if i hear it i'll put my down my phone then i solitaire game and i'll take it out and then i'll hit play again and then so i do listen to the whole thing but i'm not like you know fine tooth combing it at all i'm just and sometimes they pass too sometimes you do want to leave a little bit of that uh ah, 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 whatever kind of stuff (laughs) in there because it's more natural that way So you don't want to clean it up and make it perfect, but so if I can sneak a visual in, without you knowing, oh, it's gonna go because I don't even pay attention (laughs) to the visuals. No, not at all.
2: If a subscriber gets it, then we got to send them something, right? Like a sticker. Oh yeah, if you
0: put some little like Easter egg in there, yeah, because I if you know, and it could be a game where I'm supposed to find it, but then you're gonna make me pay attention, and then (laughs) I'll hate life. (laughs) But no, I'm serious. I just sit there and play solitaire until we get to the point where. When all of us are talking, then it's like, you got to pay attention. You know, if it's it's a quick, rapid fire, like everybody's got something to say about something, I pretty much have to pay attention. Right. It's just when you get those big old long stretches where mostly it's me just sitting there talking like a goober and (laughs) let it ramble on and on and on and on and on. So... And then I'm most critical about me too, right? Cause I care about me. I don't care about you guys. Right. So I'm the same way. if I'm coughing or something, I'm going to make sure that my cough gets taken out. Now Eric will do something like that too. He'll cough or he'll uh, say, um, or whatever. And you know, if I catch it, I catch it. But if I don't catch them all, I'm not too worried about it. Whereas he's probably would be more worried about himself than us. Oh, yeah. So it's just human nature. It's not a big deal. <laughs> and we are who we are. I mean, if somebody's going to talk to us out on a trail or something, they're going to get the real us. So you might as well be as real as possible, which was another
2: upside. We met a few people that we haven't ever interacted with before, which was really cool. Um, one gentleman named Ben, what's up, Ben, if you're listening, he, uh, came back out and we saw him two days in a row. So that was pretty cool. And then, uh, Allington
0: Ben Allington, yeah, he was a cool dude. Yeah, he was. He's a cheater though, because he rides an electric bike, <laughs> not, a, not an electric bike, a pedal assist bike. And yep. I'm just kidding, he wasn't a cheater, <laughs> he was pedaling just as much as we were. Yeah, although he, was. he wasn't breathing as hard when he got to the top of the hill. Oh, gosh, it's because he wasn't being tortured. No, he was a good time. <laughs> he actually has a lot of digital knowledge. He's shooting that little that, Fo- that Fuji system that I was kind of interested in last year, I think it was. Yeah. So he's got some good things going on and his, he has a YouTube channel. What was it? Ben was here. I think. Yep. Go to Ben was, I have no idea. I haven't been there yet. I'm going to go after this podcast, but go to Ben was here and who knows, maybe he'll have some real estate stuff up there or something. I don't know. I have a feeling it's going to be all wildlife stuff, but yeah, we met a bunch of cool people. Yep. And speaking of that, we're pimping our tour. So we finally got dates. So everywhere, every time Brandon and I see someone on the trail, like, "Hey, did you know you could go on a bear trip with us?" <laughs> hey, did you know we're gonna only go to if they bring up, bear up bears? Well, yeah, we're not that bad. We're not like <laughs> you know, plasting stickers on their bikes that yeah. say, "Hey, check out our website for a bear trip."
2: We only chased down two people on the trail. It's not
0: a big deal, and we only took money from three little old <laughs> ladies, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, no, we got our. We got our. uh dates and we have the potential to run two trips so we have spot we have one scheduled and it's we're committed we're going that's september 4th through september 10th so it's like prime time for the area that we go for the bears and it could be me brandon or eric that are going to be the the host on the trip there'll be dave backrack the guy we work with too he'll be on it for sure and one of the three of us will be on it. It's all going to depend on people's schedules and what, who's doing what and who's not busy and who is busy or that sort of thing. Um, all the information is on the Truth and Legend website. Just go to the photo tour link. I believe it's $9,000 per person. You need to check with Dave on that. That's what it was last year. Um, and then that is uh, if we can get two trips – then it'll make it even cooler for all the participants because the first trip you get to fly out or you get to ride the boat out. But when your trip's over, then you fly back because the second group flies out when the first trip is over and then they'll ride the boat back. So it would be cool if we can fill up two trips just because people will get both a flight and a float in to get to the location. And the flight out is... I don't know, an hour and fifteen minutes, whereas the float out is like eighteen hours. So, eighteen hours one way is probably all you need to do to get the floating experience. Yeah, but check out our website. We have the whole description on it, uh, all the dates, who you need to call to secure your spot. Um, Dave takes care of all that. He's got all his, um, you know, fifty percent payment required by the t- at this date, and then the rest at this date and. He just manages all that. That's why we partnered up with Dave because he knows what he's doing. So um, all the information is there. The only thing I haven't put on there and I'll do that today is just sample photos. there there is a video. So last year Mm -hmm. I shot a video on the trip, which will actually give you an insight into the the boat itself, which I'd never really done before. So you can kind of see what the little rooms look like. You can see that we have a washer and dryer. You can see that there's two bathrooms. You can see this nice galley where we go up and eat and then you can see some of the zodiac and how you get in and out from the big boat to the get on the little boats or little zodiacs to get into where we film the bears so that actually probably serves as a better and then you get to see footage of the bears that you'll be able to shoot or film or whatever you do so that's probably better than looking at a bunch of pictures anyways and that's on that same page anything to add to that fellas I was going to say,
1: I don't know if we talked too much about the bear video because I feel like we talked about it more, but we had the recording issues and I I had a note here that I think we may have forgot to mention it last time. Um, But yeah, for me, I would say that surprised me because I've never done the boat based ones. Um, I've always just flown out and tent camped myself, but it's not just a boat. This thing is like huge, modern, beautiful boat. So definitely watch it if you're worried about like sleeping on some dingy little ship or, you know, even like Matt Hab takes out the old fishing charter from like the crab fleet. I mean, this thing is like a brand new aluminum, very fancy high-end boat. So it looks pretty comfy in terms of having to sleep on a boat. This looks pretty darn nice. So, yeah, go watch that bear video. It It is.
0: I wouldn't say it's like high-end luxury. sure. I wouldn't say it's... In Alaska um, standards, you know, like, yeah. I think it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it yeah. is. And yeah. what's super cool about it is the guy who built that boat is the is the captain mm-hmm. of the boat. And this guy is, he's so amazing. He's, if you're into boats or Alaska history or anything Alaska, this guy is so much fun. He's super quiet and super humble, so it's hard to get him to talk. But if he does talk, it's fun to just sit there and talk with the guy because he's He's been involved with uh, the ocean and boats and all that stuff in Alaska for, I don't even know how long, how many years, probably 40 or 50 years. So if you're into that sort of thing, it's kind of cool to be up with Jeff too on that. Um, so sorry, Eric, I cut you off. What else? No, oh, you- that was it. Yeah.
1: No, I just wanted to make sure that yeah, people go watch that video too. I think we may have missed.
0: Yeah, that ride. was a fun video. It's like, I, that was when I was still trying to, and we talked about it last time on the last podcast. It's so hard to figure out the formula for these videos and like, what do you do? Most of the, so I shot the whole thing haphazardly, very out of sequence, very screwed up wise. Cause I still wasn't sure what's the best way to do this. And then poor Brandon had to go through my mess and edit it all together. And I think he did a fantastic job. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Well, it could have been better, but a lot of the audio that he used, I shot on the very last day. Cause I'm still like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. I got to get something. He's going to need something to edit. I need an <laughs> intro. I need an outro. And fortunately we had to stop somewhere along the way on our way back. And that's what allowed me to do it. And what was funny is we had a national geographic photographer on that last trip. She needed to get out to these areas and our trip was the only one that gave her the access that she wanted. So she came with us and it was really super cool. Um, I wonder if I can say, I'll say it on the next podcast who she was and, and cause I need to check with her to make sure that, um, we can talk about it. Cause I'm not, I think it comes out in January, mm-hmm. the article, but anyway, she was on the trip and, uh, she had to stop at a spot cause she needed, she had a couple things that she wanted to get. So we stopped and then not everybody wanted to go cause we were on our way back and we weren't really expecting to find bears We were, she just needed to shoot some stuff. And then I didn't say it, but I needed to shoot some stuff too. So as we're walking out there, I hear her and she's super good on camera, right? She's just like, and it's all perfect. You know, you know, Kat Maya has 2000 bears and you know, it's got this much coastal I don't even remember the lines anymore, but I essentially was just listening to her and then I was just poaching her information because I'm like, that sounds brilliant. And then I would just go off on of my own way and I, I would just uh, do my own thing on video. So I'm, I'm giving away all my secrets. But it's that's amazing. how I got all that stuff on the last day.
1: Uh, yeah.
0: But it was fun having that gal on the trip. Um, and when you see the article, she gave me a sneak peek into some of the pictures. And then I saw what she was shooting on the trip we were on. And I was watching, you know, I would look at her shooting some stuff and I'm like, what in the heck is she doing? I would never, ever think that way. I would never, ever think in a millionaires to shoot something the way she was shooting it. And then, of course, me, I'm like, it'll never turn out. It'll never work. It'll never work. And then she would show me and I'd be like, holy moly. It's like beautiful. What she was doing was just, which stands to reason, right? That's why she's a National Geographic photographer. Mm -hmm. But. It was just amazing, beautiful stuff. And that was just part of the whole story. You know, with Nat Geo, you're shooting hundreds of thousands, well, not that much, tens of thousands of images to, to pull out that selection that's actually going to make it into the magazine. But some of the selects that I saw that she was able to sneak peek, show me, were pretty spectacular. So look for that, and we'll push that out there. But she was my cheat code on that, that whole <laughs> delivering this. It's like I was prepared to do that whole walk and talk. And I wasn't. Now, some of the other ones I did all myself. I didn't have her helping me, but if you hear me talking about just matter of fact, this is what I see in front of me. That's all me. If you hear me talking, spouting out facts, that's (laughs) because I, I plagiarized in the field.
2: (laughs) Well, you guys, well, so there's always something on one of these trips. You guys had a weather day. So, you got to show that. But more interesting to me was you had those three three year olds. It two? There was two. There's three three year olds, right? And they were still together with mom.
0: Yeah. I think it was just two. I or, think yeah. Was there was three and bears two. and there's two, right? That's what it was. That was so cool because what, you know, if you get a mama with brand new cubs, the cubs are very, they don't do fishing at all. You know, they just sit on the side and watch. They may go out and try, but the chances of them ever getting anything is, Slim and none, right? Then you get a year-old cub, or the next year, what, a year-and-a-half-old cub, mm-hmm. the next summer. They can get out there, but they still don't have a clue. But you get these older cubs that can have learned how to fish, and Mama's taught them. They are a force to be reckoned with. And with when you got fish swimming up a stream, and this was an area where they had a great big pool, and then it goes up this, like, waterfall thing, and there's rocks that, you know, The fish can kind of get under or they have to navigate around. When you get three big bears that are working together. Now, I don't think they were purposely working together. I think they were working together by accident, Mm -hmm. but it worked. Because one up above would scare a fish and then it would come down. And the other two below it, for sure they were going to get it. They were so much more successful at fishing. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing was, is another bear that was bigger than any of them could show up. But the three of them would go after that one bear, and that one bear would always turn around and run. So if they wanted a fishing area, they just rolled in and got it. So if you look at the footage that Brandon put together, you'll see those big bears at the end. It's, You know, they're just running up and down an area of a really rocky stream that they were super successful. It was pretty cool to watch. Really cool, yeah. Yeah, and they played a little bit. They were still cub enough or young enough to still want to play you know like the teenage but they really thought they were bad mofos um when in fact this year when they get kicked out this next year they're gonna be like oh i'm not so i'm not so bad anymore with mama behind me to protect me so they got a rude awakening coming but unless they stay together for a while and then two bears are always bigger and badder than one bear Mm -hmm. so yeah if you haven't seen that video go check it out because it Brandon did an excellent job of putting it together. The music school, the the vibe, and then seeing the weather day was kind of fun. Yeah, and you got to expect that too if you come on this trip. Mm-hmm. You want we always send out a list of what to bring, but if you are sporting rain gear with holes, not a good, not a good thing. You want to go out and spend spend some money on some really decent rain gear cuz a lot of times you're sitting out there in the rain for hours and if you've got good rain gear it's it's not like you're freezing your butt off it's just rain so you're not as long as you can stay dry you'll still have a blast and the bears don't care the bears don't care if it's raining or sunny or cloudy or what they're going to fish anything you guys want to add to that for the bear thing just to entice people to come on our trip
2: no, I don't I don't have anything else. I think we
0: have 5 signed up right now. So, we're going to have a total of 8 for the first trip. And then we've got 8 potential more if there's interest. So, if there's interest, we can stay out for another 8. So,
2: which would be awesome.
0: Yeah. Doing two, two trips out there would be a lot, a lot a blast. Yeah. And if that's the case, we'll probably flip-flop it for sure we're right you know, one of us will do one trip and one of us will do the other trip. Yeah. That way everybody gets a chance to go, or you two could go do it. Cause I've done it for years already. So <laughs> the two, you guys could go out there. And if you go out with Brandon, he's like, he's like entertaining on his own. <laughs> yeah. If you go out with Eric, you're going to get a lot of good information and right. a lot of good solid, <laughs> uh, instruction and stuff. But it's, it, you know, both of them are going to be, Have their own way to do it, and it'll be fun. Silence.
2: (laughs) I'm just remembering the bear trip and how awesome it was.
0: Yeah, I know. And
1: say I haven't done the boat trip, but watching the video, sitting here in the wintertime, I'm anxious for summer already. Thinking about man, maybe I better plan something in case the spring. I need to get out there. Eric,
0: it's only December too. I know. I know. are you going to be able to just like say, you know, screw it, we're packing the van and head south?
1: <laughs> Maybe not this year, but next winter, I think it's going to happen for sure. Because, <laughs> uh, okay. yeah, I don't know. Last two winters, I was laid up on the couch all winter because I had the big surgeries on my feet. So I haven't really had to deal with the winter for the last couple of years, but now I'm just struggling. I've been going out actually to try and film sheep myself. There's a spot uh, south of Mm -hmm. town that you can pretty much drive up to where some dull sheep have been. Um, But, you know, it's, it's freezing cold. (laughs) The area is so windy, you know, it's like 15 degrees out yesterday, just howling wind, trying to keep the camera steady and your hands trying to operate the camera just frozen. So I I don't know how much I'm going to get out of that. This is not, well, I don't know if I should, say for sure it's not a drone area but there are people flying drones right up to the sheep and hiking up so Mm -hmm. i don't know that i'm gonna continue to work that area too much but maybe i'll pick up a few shots here and there for something down the road
0: it's totally legal to fly a drone there but it's totally uncool and unprofessional and anybody that's flying a drone close to those sheep should be like thrown in the water
1: i mean it just yeah. all their heads are up they're all alert you know the there's a, a ram in there trying to check out the the use and they're they're scared and running up off the road and you know it ruins the opportunity for us but it, obviously it's potentially ruining the future generations of this herd by all the um, harassment they get during the week you know you'd think there'd be no one there and yesterday by the time i gave up and left there were probably 10 or 12 people either shooting down by the road or trying to run up the cliffs. So I don't think I'm going to add to that congestion.
0: Let's talk about that a little bit. The whole drone thing, just cause I think it's, it's good. I see so much on YouTube where I, you know, you're like, there's so much. I mean, I'm a, I'm a licensed pilot, right? So I've <laughs> taken the courses and I've done all the stuff and I know all the laws as far as, You can't fly in the clouds, people. If it's snowing, you should not be flying. That is illegal. And it's just part of the whole deal. Now, if you're flying these little itty-bitty drones that don't require a license, I guess that's one way around it. But still, um, you should not be – well, little small planes aren't going to be in there in those conditions most likely anyway. So I think it's it's okay. But, man, I see so many – videos where people and more I see more of that than I do the wildlife thing but every now and then I run across a video where somebody actually there was a gal that I follow on YouTube and she has her own sailboat and she sells all over the place and and she does a really good channel but she came to Colorado and was filming with her drone some elk and she's all excited but she, and I know it's just the fact that she just doesn't know but these elk are all running well, what does that tell you? I mean, you're harassing wildlife, and if the division of wildlife saw that, and they could, and I know they mm-hmm. could, write her a ticket because the example is there. Mm-hmm. So just don't do it. I mean, the wildlife comes first. If we, if I'm out on an assignment and they want drone, and we've got secured all the permits, and we're doing everything, everything, <laughs> everything illegal. If we're doing everything legal, which we are, because they won't do a shoot that is not where we don't have a permit and there's only certain places in Alaska where you can actually get a permit to fly a drone when there's wildlife um, there. If we're flying and there's any sort of hint of behavior changing, we're done. We back off and we're done. So the animal always comes first Mm -hmm. and that's how everybody should approach it. I mean, if you get one animal that looks up, then you you just need to call it and you can still shoot footage, but just go up, you know, get, get some elevation and, and make it so that it's not disrupting the behavior. And, but, you know, even sometimes, you know, it depends on the drone that you're using and how loud it is, but more and more these new drones are quieter and quieter. So if you can get some elevation, chances are you're going to not disrupt their behavior and you could still get some footage. Now they're not going to be as close in the frame, which isn't as cool. Um, Doug and I and Eric were on a shoot for a project and Doug found these moose and we were on private property. We had permit. We had Doug is a licensed pilot and we had a couple moose that could, could have cared less. And that's cool. That was super cool. Yeah. There was not one time where that moose ever even looked up. So I don't know what was in that. And it wasn't just one moose. It was a cow and a bull and I think even maybe a couple of cows. Mm -hmm. So you will find wildlife out there that is, um, I wouldn't say acclimated, but they're, they're They're tolerant. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. They're just tolerant of it. But again, that's a process where you got to work into it. You don't just go screaming over there and (laughs) zip right down and say, Oh, look, they looked at me. You know, if you take it slow, and you kind of come in slow, you got. You might have a much better chance of getting footage. And it is super cool. And you cannot watch a good go, uh, good YouTube video without seeing really cool footage. Right. You want to see some cool footage. Um, there's a channel out there called Living the Van Life. And it's a single dude that started out in the Westphalia Volkswagen. I don't know. I'm sure if it's a Westphalia. It was a Volkswagen, four-wheel drive synchro Volkswagen back in the day. And uh, now he's graduated with the success of YouTube to a sprinter van that's all fancied up and um, fancy four-wheel drive system in it. And that guy has the most epic drone stuff. I would like to just go watch the guy work Mm -hmm. because he has to drive the van. But he also has to fly the drone. And I guarantee you he's not always flying that drone while he's driving, because he's on some sketchy roads. A lot of and a lot of the footage. Now, some of the footage is just on a highway in some obscure place and it's cool. It's be easy to do. But if you're on some of these four wheel drive roads in Utah on BLM land or whatever, and you're going around these edgy thing, you know, got a cliff on one side and big four wheel drive rock kind of topography. And then you get a shot of a drone coming through, you know, two spires or something. I'm wondering, he must just program it all. In which case, it's going to have to take a couple of hours to set up that one shot. Because you got to fly it all and then teach the drone what the starting point is, the ending point, and any elevation change. And these drones will do it. So you could do that. Or you can do that. I don't even know what it's called, Brandon, maybe. or you, well, Either one of you guys might know. When you select an object and you say, just follow this object. Oh, yeah.
2: The object tracked.
0: Is that what it is? Yeah. So maybe he does some of that. But some of the shots are so cool where he will come through something. So I know it's not working off an object thing mm-hmm. because for part of the shot, the object's not even in it. So that's yeah, and the why drone will stop must... when that happens. Yeah. So that's why I think he might be doing the whole program, the shot initially. Mm-hmm. But then the timing has to be there, too. So if he says go on the drone, then hits the you know, starts driving, you know, he has these things just timed out where this van is coming around this really epic corner with this epic view and this coming right through these two spires and the rocks and the van is revealed and it's like, oh man, that is super cool. So if if you're into drone stuff and you're into watching cool stuff, that guy's channel is pretty, pretty amazing for that kind of stuff.
2: So I have a, a tangent because it continues to happen those little emoji things you just edited three episode three did they come through on the recording Uh -uh. oh so us being idiots in three is just (laughs) that
0: i don't know i might have been playing (laughs) salt and i just cough the next time Um. it comes up amazing uh, uh, i don't think so i don't think they did come through and i talk with my hands so much i probably got bubbles and fireworks well yeah you, there's been and...
2: there's been bubbles just firing off on yours
0: <laughs> no i guess not it must not come through well that's huh. good because i didn't see any I, I mean it's good laughing. to know now yeah but yeah. some of that stuff the whole you can't even make know. it do it how do you do it yeah, oh, I do you. know Brandon. There gets you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyhow, that was another whole um, tangent, drone tangent. But just be aware when you're out there flying these drones.
2: Well, and it's fun to watch the behind the scenes. I think it was on Planet Earth 1, maybe, that they did the big migration of the elephants. And they did that all with balloon. Because they didn't want to disturb it, which is really cool. But can you imagine having to film from a balloon? <laughs> like the basket? And I'm sure they had a big gimbal on the side, but still it's like those baskets are not that big.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I've only been to like the Albuquerque Balloon Fiesta once and I don't I've never been in one of those baskets. But yeah, I would think it would be. But you know how those guys do it. I mean those guys have yeah. unlimited budgets and they can probably get the oversized yeah. baskets and <laughs> Oversized balloons and the elephants are probably accustomed to those balloons in a lot of those places because you do go to Africa and you do see a lot of balloons flying in certain spots, which would be super cool to experience the, <laughs> the Serengeti in a balloon. I think that would be pretty awesome. That's cool. So maybe it's just a quieter thing, but man, drones have definitely, they're definitely cool, but they definitely have a spot. And the place we talked about with in the beginning of this video is no drones. Right. It would be super cool.
2: Oh, it'd be amazing.
0: To have a drone up there, but, you know, you've got to respect the
1: yeah respect The reason. Why and then national no. parks. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's there's so many different reasons for so many different places that, you know, you just got to say, okay. So just keep that in mind when you're out there flying your, your drones around.
1: You sent a uh, link for some radios the other day. Was there a story behind that?
0: <laughs> no, no it was just I was just bored. <laughs> I was probably editing a podcast and I got uh, bored playing solitaire. Like to maybe you have some genius am. No, it, idea. Was <laughs> yeah. right. it was just super cheap. Yeah. It just super cheap radios.
1: It's <laughs> trying to come up with some sort of material.
2: <laughs> well, Michael and I are both ham radio
0: technicians. Are you a technician or are you a generalist? I don't know the difference. Well, I have my ham radio license, which allows me to talk on a radio. I don't do Morse code. I don't do any yeah, of that stuff. Okay. So I don't know if that's a technician. You're or probably a technician.
2: Or... That's what I am. And so we use these radios because they have better range because they're 2-meter and 70-centimeter wavelengths, which is a ultra-high frequency and a very high frequency, VHF, UHF. It's a lot like marine radio, right? Like they'll go forever. And so we use those Baofengs, Baofeng whatever the cheap amazon radios because i have a programmer and we can program the channels and then that way we have them and we use them so
0: but when we use them you have to follow the protocol it's just like flying a drone you know you got if you're gonna take advantage of the stuff and you're gonna have some sort of federal license you have to so if i'm gonna call brandon i have to call him by his call sign right i can't just say hey brandon what's going on over there (laughs) although you do hear it so a lot of times it's easier just to use an FRS radio or a Family Radio Service radio, like the little Motorola's that you buy it, like a bubble Walmart. pack radio. Yeah, yeah. It's those you require no license at all, and for most of this stuff, they work great. And Eric, you and I use them when we're out doing moose because a lot of times we'll be two hundred yards away, and you don't want to shout back and forth, but you do want to communicate just to share information. So, um, those are better, but if you're using the high powered ones, which would get us up to what, five miles in, in decent conditions, mm-hmm. you have to
2: like, well, and then you have to identify every five minutes. You have to, everyone can listen to you. I mean, it's a whole production.
0: I initially got my license just cause I wanted to uh, chase storms oh. and I felt like, you know, there's a lot of these ham guys that, that. Use those radios when they're out chasing the storms. Mm-hmm. So I, I just got it for the intel, which in that case, I could have just scanned. I just could have bought a scanner right. to get the information. But um, I'm getting a spam college. I shut it off. Um, so, but then I thought, well, I should go ahead and get my license. And it wasn't, it's like getting a drone license, it's not easy, but it's not hard. I mean, it just requires studying and, and understanding the rules. And learning how to play well with others and and follow the rules and the biggest one is you know using your call sign Mm -hmm. for it and then i got it for the storm chasing and that was about when the big storms kind of petered off (laughs) for like 10 years i mean it used to be you could count on eastern colorado just blowing up every spring and you could potentially get out there and get pretty epic and you know the anvil clouds or tornadoes or whatever but My concern was always getting in the wrong spot and getting pummeled with hail. So I thought, if I have a radio and I can listen to all these guys' weather forecasts and I can put myself on the side where there's less uh, danger of screwing up my vehicle or getting caught in a tornado or whatever. So that whole storm chasing thing was what started me.
2: Did you ever get a storm or was it just done?
0: No, it kind of just, it's coming back. I think now, I mean, it, it doesn't. It didn't like go away because it just moved south. I mean, it seems like now you got more, more of that tornadic stuff going on in the southeast than you do. And, but I know that certain times of year they still do Colorado, Kansas, Texas, you know, that whole corridor that just gets pummeled every spring. But no, I just never, never could get it into it but i would love to do it doug's done it and i think we've talked about it with doug on the wild and exposed podcast where he used to chase storms and you get it's like that adrenaline rush man if you get in the right spot and you get you guys have all seen some of these photos and video of just dramatic storms it's pretty dang cool but it's also pretty dang dangerous so you need to yeah i've been out you need to have your (laughs)
1: My Have cousin's
0: you? uh yeah,
1: he's like the chief forecaster for I think the University of Kansas or their Mesonet like the weather Mesonet in Kansas. And so he went college, he was really oh, into cool. storm chasing, and so I flew down there one year and we rented a car <laughs> for the sake of the hail damage which we utilized the buy full all coverage the insurance. On. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um but yeah, so I went down there and spent like a week with him and we drove all over went from Texas to Minnesota in one day just to try and follow storms. And we saw one small tornado, mostly just saw the damage afterwards and tried to run through the town. He, he's very connected with all the software and stuff that, you know, I mean, even back then, 10 years ago was impressive. All the um, maps and there's a spotter network where, you know, we would have internet in the car, all the maps downloaded offline. He could dial into all the radar towers and see the weather, And then we could report damage and, you know, we called in to report the tornado touchdown um, and make sure there wasn't any injuries. All the people in those areas come out and give you the thumbs up. So, you know, people aren't crowding the towns out, but yeah, it's cool. That's one of the things that I would love to go back and do is just to watch those storms build. It's hard to describe how big that is. You're standing there watching that storm and then you realize that's, you know, three miles, five miles away. And it's like 20,000 feet tall, you know, this huge cloud system. And then starts to anvil out, you start feeling all the winds, you know, pulling up into the, the storm. And he's like, don't open your window. Cause yours, if you open yours, it's going to blow mine out with the way the pressure is right now. Just things that, yeah, you could get yourself into trouble pretty quick doing it. But if you're, you're there and you're doing it safely, that is one of the coolest marvels of nature that i've ever seen watching one of those storms build and then the aftermath the lightning and everything is just really cool to watch once it starts to fizzle out the thunderstorms that just keep rolling through are pretty cool
0: yep i would still like to do it i think it would be something but now it just i want to alaska has more of a pull than the than (laughs) the storms but if i'm ever down here when it's going i would i would love to do it But I think your cheat code of renting a car would be the way to do it and just buy all the coverage because that was what I was always worried about. I don't want to go out and just get my car pummeled with hail, which you could do very easily not knowing Mm -hmm. what you're doing. And I I didn't know what I was doing at all.
1: Yeah, he had some friends who were banned from certain rental car companies (laughs) because they had utilized that (laughs) coverage one too many times. And uh, like, yeah, you're not taking one of our cars again. (laughs) Ours wasn't real bad, just a couple small dents, but. Yeah, it's bad.
0: <laughs> the joke used to be just show up with the steering wheel and put the steering wheel and the keys <laughs> on the on the counter and you're good to go. Yeah, you know what we didn't talk about last time too because the podcast that got um derailed was um and you referenced it and then we never talked about it in the one the redo version of it, but you called me Hollywood. Oh yeah, and then we never talked about it. Yeah, Mr. Hollywood tell yeah. us about that and that never actually went so the good thing is, is it's gonna go next week but it won't coincide mm-hmm. with this podcast but um okay. one of the local tv news stations i have a buddy that works there and i had sent him the bear video that brandon edited and he's any you he, he, were good friends and he he's it's like a No, I wouldn't say good friends. We're acquaintances, but, you know, occasionally we just get together and do some fun stuff and then we'll go five years without talking to each other, right? So I just randomly sent him this video and he's like, dude, we should do a story for, uh, I think it's called Outdoor Colorado for the Fox channel here in, in Denver. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. So he just came over and I sent them links or I sent them a couple videos, moose and bears, without music and without, what was it? Without graphics and without music. Mm -hmm. And they are just going to use that footage in their story. And they came to my office here and just interviewed me. It's only like a two and a half minute story, but it'll air next. (laughs) The week of like December 11th. So like the 14th. It's on a Thursday. I don't know what day that is. So today's what the eighth and it's Friday. So yeah. So it'll be the 14th. Supposedly it was supposed to air last night, and it didn't, so it could get pushed again, but they were do they had to do a Christmas tree story last night, so no well, just because yeah. it the timing sense for Christmas there. trees
2: and I, I was <laughs> trying to figure out when I
0: have to wear my Christmas sweater for this to make I guess it on next for week. that week, probably next week, right yeah, well, it depends on how how faithful we are to doing these podcasts, I mean, as long as we have something to talk about. This is what, number four? Well, obviously, we can pontificate, so I don't even think we need anything to talk about. <laughs> you know what I was thinking is we need to start including more stills stuff because it seems like we are 100% video right now, and there's still tons of people that shoot stills. And I think you made the comment on a podcast, Brandon, one time where a certain percentage of your work is still mostly photographic. And yeah, like this video. year, it was three-quarters of my workload was fo- uh, photography. Yeah. So... so. And everybody we run into in the, well, not everybody. A lot of people that I run into are still shooting stills, Mm -hmm. but they also are shooting video. Mm -hmm. So I think there is the video content. I think we go way over the top. That is probably too much for most people, but I think it's still interesting to listen to for people that are just doing video of any sort, whether you're just doing a little short for YouTube or Instagram or something all the way up to actually producing your own thing. I think Ben, we got him kind of, dialed in yesterday or at least he's excited about doing stuff so yeah yeah there's an audience for it but i do miss shooting stills and i think we can talk about that a little bit more or the other thing is we just get a guest right you know so that i think that's uh in our future i
2: i still like photography is still what i love i just it's hard you can't do both well You might be able to do both because if you set up a mirrorless camera and we were talking about this as a video, if you set up a mirrorless camera as kind of a hybrid to do both, like a running gun, I think you could easily make a bunch of shorts, a bunch of reels, whatever you need and still get good photos. I don't think you could do long form videos with it and still get good pictures, but maybe.
0: I don't know. Where are you at, Eric? Are you, are you like, have you just kicked the photo bucket out and your, or the photo you, do you have any desire to shoot photos anymore? Or are you 100% video?
1: I'm pretty much 99.9% video. I feel like I opened Lightroom to put pictures in there, but I don't even remember what that was for. There was one day where I had some technical issues and I feel like I took, I think that was when we were in doing moose and I had issues. So I just took a small camera setup out and I think I just took some stills just because I'm like, well, this new moose, that i hadn't seen before i might as well go ahead and photograph a few shots but yeah i i'm in the mindset now where i look at all the still images online and i just think to myself that would be so much cooler as a video (laughs) and i think like brandon's saying yeah you could definitely get you know the short form stuff reels and especially if you like have a subject where you got a good still image and that opportunity is still there you really should shoot the the video clip cuz it's probably going to be more impactful than the the still image potentially depending on what it is. And so I think it's pretty common to see I see it in the field a lot and people talk to me about video stuff when they see, you know, more of a video rig is that just having your camera set up to quickly switch over to have like some video preset in one of your custom settings and you know you shoot and then you just quickly turn it over to video, hit record and at least get, you know, 10-15 seconds of Whatever that was, and you can be back to shooting stills in no time and not really have to mess with the camera too much. And all the image stabilization and everything, you know, your end results get enough resolution for social media. But yeah, I don't I never take stills unless (laughs) I'm stitching a time lapse and have to you know, I do the I'll use my A one just to shoot high resolution time lapses and stitch those together, but yeah, I don't take any pictures anymore.
0: The hard thing for me is packing all that stuff around. I would love to have my still camera out there with me. Hold on. But it's so much weight. And the current pack that I use, and we're going to do some what's in your bag videos so you can kind of see what the deal is with mine and why I can't do it. But I used to just take a little DSLR with the 24-105 to or 24-70 to or something because I was always after for stills. I was always after that big animal, big landscape, but there's only certain situations. And again, it goes to ethics, right? You cannot just be all up in the grill of all this wildlife. And if you want a big animal and big, big scenery, you're kind of in the grill of these animals. And so there's only certain situations where you can do it with camera trap being the best, but there are certain times where it's possible. So I used to take it for that. And I've gotten a few moose things that way that are probably some of the best stills I've ever shot. But it's just another thing to carry. And I do love getting those. Cause those are like why we asked, st- well, why I started, you know, you were always after those wall hangers that when someone looked at it, they're like, Holy crap, that is the coolest image. So they're hard to get. It's worth having it. But- and I would still do it if I could figure out how to carry all that stuff. Well, the way I,
2: so I do do it for events like where you're having to do both because we've done that before, Michael. Um, the way I do it is I set memory one, two, three up for video. 1 is my 4K 24. Memory 2 is 4K 60. And memory 3 is 4K 120 or 1080, 120, depending on your camera. And then I just set manual as my photo setting. On the A seven four, it actually has like a designated camera photo, or a, I'm sorry, it has a designated video and then a photo mode, so you can switch between the two. And I don't, I think the canons are the same way, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you set those memories up, you just switch over to video real quick, go to one or three or whatever you need, and just fire off a video. the The only problem I have ever had is just. On that A1, for whatever reason, when I would go from manual to one really quickly, it would lock it up. And I don't know. And I was even at 4K, so I don't know what the problem was there. And sometimes it was to the point where you'd have to take the battery out, which just killed your flow in the field. So, yeah. but,
0: well, but on when the A7 IV, it was fine. When we do corporate shoots, like Brandon and I did one in Florida a couple months ago or mm-hmm. a month ago or whenever it was. Brandon was there to shoot video and I had another guy shooting video and I shot stills. So that, again, it's just hard to be switching back and forth. And if you have to capture really special moments and you have to have both, you know, the client wants stills and video, then that's the only way you're going to get it done.
2: Well, and there was still one shot that ended up going because I was just closer by happen chance and i just grabbed a still cuz there was no video to be taken for it cuz it was we were setting up a specific shot for just one photo that the client wanted and i just thought oh this is kind of cool so i just took the fx3 and put it in photo mode and took a picture and 12 megapixels they loved it so it was you can still make good images with a 12 megapixel camera so
0: give us some feedback. Cause if you want to see more still stuff, I mean, we obviously have all done it so we can talk about it and we can actually go out and do specific videos for that kind of thing. But the video is kind of where the whole world's going anyway. So it just is more natural to talk about the video. And I'm with you, Eric. I think I just love getting the video now. I don't, I used to say that stills were my number one thing, but now I look at it and I'm like, Oh man, that'd be so cool in video. All right. Well, I think we got it for this episode. What do you guys think? Is there anything else we want to talk about? I think we got it. Okay. Well, sounds good. Well, Thanks give for us listening. more uh, content ideas uh, of the audience if you want to hear something specific or if you're having any problems or if you want gear talk. That's the other thing. We don't even talk ever about specific gear. If people have questions, we could answer those kind of questions on, on the podcast. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. Did we have any questions from the last podcast that we put up that we need to answer?
0: I didn't see any questions, but I got a lot of people commenting saying, I'm glad you guys are doing it kind of thing. So that's cool. Okay. Yep. But it's still baby steps. I mean, there's not, Oh, I guess what it would be cool to know from the audience is, man, if we get comments on this, we know that people are listening the whole way through. Um, I want to know what people use to listen to a podcast. Do people watch on YouTube as they're working? Do people download for Apple podcasts and listen just the audio? Do people use Spotify more? What's the choice out there? I mean, obviously we're probably going to end up supplying this content to all those platforms, but it's just a process of getting it all set up. So I want to make sure that, Um, the most used formats are taken care of first. So that would be probably the Apple podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. But um, there's a bunch more out there. So give us some feedback if you got it.
2: Oh, we do have one question, but I don't have the answer for it. Are we going to be selling hats at some point? I think in the future, yes, but
0: we don't have them for sale now. Is that... Yeah, that would be an easy fix, I think. That would be something easy to We're
2: do. We're still trying, if you can tell. So I'm wearing a different one. Michael's wearing a different one. Eric's wearing a different one. Yeah. We're still trying to find what we like, to be honest. Because I think Michael and I, we've bought too many hats, right? We've probably bought 50 hats at I this point. I bet we
0: spend 1000 bucks on hats just trying to find stuff that... Oh, easily, yeah.
2: Because each time we only really. buy six hats...
0: I bought three hats just to try them out and see if I like it. And it was a hundred bucks for three different hats. Yeah. But I get it. I mean, it's just, it's a process for someone to buy the hat and do the embroidery and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. So we'll, that's probably something for the future that, yeah, we'll, we'll probably be doing, but we don't have anything for you right now. But we will. But if you see us in the field, hit me up. Cause I bet you I have a brand new hat in the truck that I would give somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Okay all right give us some sort of like really fancy uh, outro either one of you thanks for listening this has been the truth and legend podcast and we'll see you next time there we go how's that good okay all right stop that puppy and then we can talk about eric's video